Piali piali. Hola todes. Hello everyone. It's Rebecca. Welcome to Decolonize Everything, Season 2, Episode 2. It is now 2022. I'm now halfway through my master's program at Harvard Divinity School. And I've been learning Nahuatl, writing and reading and trying to figure out how to survive, how to connect, how to grow, how to resist. And tonight is a full moon. I have just started to burn some Copal incense. I'm holding gratitude to you, to my ancestors and guides. And especially today for our guest, Diana Morales, who is a Pura Pecha artist and digital illustrator and is in her first year as a graduate student at UCLA. And I hope you enjoy this episode. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I am so excited and so honored to introduce you to this incredible artist. So my name is Diana Morales. I'm currently living in Santana, which is Tongva and Hachiman lands. Uh, I was born in Santa Cruz, Tanaco, Michoacán, Mexico. And originally the name of my pueblo is Tanguarequa, and later it was uh, renamed Santa Cruz, Tanaco. I'm an indigenous Purapecha artist here in urban city, Santana. I also consider myself a Santanera because this is the city where I grew up and it's where I was raised. Uh, and the thing that gives me life right now has been uh, seeding semillas, uh, mm -hmm. growing food with my family. It has been uh, spending time with folks who can share stories with me as well. You know, uh, conversations like this one are always very uh, nurturing to me. And so I'm happy to be here. Welcome and thank you for being here. If I if I saw this correctly, it looked like you opened up your little store, your tiendita during COVID. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yes. Well, tell yes. me. I mean, so congratulations mm -hmm. for, for thank that. Thank you. Thank yeah. You so and much. I would just love to hear about that journey of even what came before you started and how you were inspired mm -hmm. to begin last July. So even a little before July, June of last year, um, I had just finished graduating from UC Santa Cruz, um, doing my undergrad. And that's exactly when COVID started. I decided to just come home, be with my family during that time uh, and not go to grad school, not look for work necessarily. And being home is when I started to have a lot more time to do art. That was already something that I was doing in undergrad, more so like as a self-care thing and more so of like anytime I had an opportunity to do art in a class or somehow integrate art, that's what I was doing. And so after graduating, being home and having more time to myself, more time to my family, um, that's when I felt like I had a lot more space uh, to just make art for about the stories that I was hearing from my mom about our food, 
um, about growing semillas. I started growing a milpa with my family at a wow. local community garden run by Crece here in Santana. Uh, and so that's where we grew our, our milpa. Uh, having that practice during COVID was really something that grounded me uh, to be with my mom, to spend time with my siblings, uh, and to just talk about what it was like being together in a very scary moment and a very scary time. So I think that's where my art really found uh, grounding in those stories and everything that was shared with me through my parents. Uh, and since then, July was, July, end of July, I think is when I opened up my store. Uh, and I decided to put some of this art out there for other folks to see and to have for themselves. Uh, yeah, so this store that I have for Artes Medicina is a lot more than a store. And uh, I think it's really a lot more about the art that I'm sharing and the relationships that I'm building with all the folks that connect to that art. So it's really amazing to hear how your work uh, was kind of born in that time and I think has been truly medicine for other people um, like myself just from afar. <laughs> uh, and definitely that community, that following has uh, grown a lot more and I'm so thankful for all the folks that I've also met through social media um, in their own communities across diaspora, Puerto Picha diaspora. I've come to learn we're in so many different states and all over the U.S., all over Mexico. Um, and so it's also been really good for me to connect with uh, other folks, hear their experiences. Do you have a piece of yours that you'd be willing to share a little bit of a story behind it or an experience that led to actually creating the art piece? All of the pieces really have a story behind them. I can share two. <laughs> so one that I have is an illustration of a, a young Pura Pecha Mujer holding Sempasuchil flowers. Uh, and we call those flowers apasequa. And this image really came uh, through the siembra of Sempasuchil that I have done over the past couple of years here in Santana. And the re kind of relearning and redoing of those cultural practices within my own family, because we didn't always set up altares. Um, because we don't have the burial sites of our grandparents here. And usually that, yeah. that is a tradition to stay at the cemetery, uh, to bring food above the burial. Uh, and so we didn't have that. that was, and that wasn't something that we were doing at that is in here. But maybe in the last five years is where I started to grow semillas de Sempasuchil again here in Santana. Um, and I think that this image was a moment of feeling peaceful, uh, feeling the presence of this flower and what it represents as a calling for uh, those of our grandparents that have passed away and that still come to visit, that still come to find us even after death. So now that I've started to do altares with my family, it's been really nice to, again, uh, make the meals, the corundas on the altar, to put the guayabas, the candles, some panes that have figures of, of monitos, of animals. And it's a welcoming piece that I feel has been slowly coming back into a practice within our family. And it's really nice. It's really beautiful to even just grow the seed. I'm actually going to be planting some today. So end of July is oh, the yes. last week to to plant 
Zempasuchil seeds. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to be also doing today. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I'm, I, I love that you brought up this piece because this is the one I have in my home. This is the one I purchased oh. and I put it on my altar this last fall and uh, it's been there ever since. And it's something, I, I, everything rather, everything about this piece uh, just mm -hmm. feels like you put so much of your soul into it. And it feels like it is this connection with both the earth and with our ancestors uh, so it's great to hear that story and even that process of reclamation in diaspora, right? Like learning how do we do this when we are not in our homelands and when we're not where our where our loved ones have been buried. And what's the other one? Uh, the other piece I want to share a little bit about is there's another illustration that I have of a tobacco plant. And in this one... Um, there's an image of a person in Gaban and uh, one of the traditional hats as well. And this, so this image actually came from hearing a story about the origins of the tobacco plants within Purepecha tradition. And this is a story that I had never heard. And so when I did hear it, it, it was very special and I really wanted to, to capture what I was imagining. And so the story of the origin of tobacco is that there was once this young Purapecha mujer uh, tending to her garden, to her squash, uh, to her corn, when she realized that there was some missing. So someone had come by and taken some of those vegetables. And so one day that she was taking care of her garden, uh, she saw a young man and she asked him what he was doing there. And she, when they talked, she told him that she was actually a being from the rain that was the one bringing rain. And so he wanted to go up with her to the clouds. And so she took him. He wanted to be useful to us. He wanted to uh, do something with, with his life. And he thought that was a good, a good thing to do to be a bringer of rain. And so when he did go up, to the clouds. He was new at this and he didn't have much experience. So in the first few days that he was up in the clouds, there was actually a thunderstorm and a rainstorm and he flooded everything. <laughs> um, and so the brothers of the Purapicha uh, rain being uh, got mad at him and uh, followed him, tried to make him go back uh, down to earth with the humans. And the young Mujer wanted to protect him because she was grateful to him for at least trying. And so she put a piece of her hair in his pocket um, and a, a liston around his waist so that the brothers wouldn't sense his human scent. <laughs> but eventually uh, the brothers found him. And so when they did, uh, the, the woman uh, rain bringer begged her brothers to not, uh, not kill him and instead to send him down to earth in a useful way. And so the way that they did this was by sending him back down to earth, but not as a human and as a plant instead, as a tobacco plant. And that any time that he was used, that it would be with purpose, that it would not be a waste. So we're not supposed to use tobacco in a wasteful way. And so that's what this tobacco story is. Uh, this uh, Purepecha 
uh, brother, now also a relative who came back down as a plant. Yes, thank you for thank you for sharing that. I, I'm curious, have you also worked with the seeds and the plants yes, as well? Yes, I have. Um, so one of the things that I've gotten asked to is um, if I have any tobacco seeds from Mexico, and I don't. And a part of that, of not having those seeds that are native to Michoacan is because of the burning of the cerros, um, devastation of landscape, the tobacco plant, that's where it grew in the in the Sierra region. And it's pretty much uh, not growing there anymore. It doesn't grow. Wow. Um, and so we don't have, well, not that I know, we don't have our native seed from there. But I wow. have gotten mm -hmm. um, tobacco plants gifted to me. And just yesterday, actually, I harvested some of those seeds, um, gathered some of that tobacco. And so now I have seeds to also share. <laughs> It's amazing to hear these stories and these connections that you have and how each of these that you just shared, each of these stories are, they're living, growing things that are happening, like you said, today and yesterday and are being, I, I, it seems like they're part of your everyday experience as your relatives. And I'd love to hear more about what it means that these plants are our relatives and our ancestors and our allies and sort of how you think about and participate in that. So I think a big part of that is recognizing that we have a responsibility to plants and that we have a dependability on them. Um, and so tobacco, for example, when it was used or the ways it was traditionally used um, is that there were folks within our community who had that specific role to burn um, burn a large, a large amount of tobacco plants, like entire plants, to call in the rains uh, whenever there would be droughts, whenever the rains wouldn't come. Uh, and so I think about that kind of responsibility within our community to bring in rain. And obviously that's something that we don't do now because the plants aren't there in the Sierra. And there has been um, the rains uh, just very unbalanced um, for many reasons, because there aren't enough trees to hold in the moisture of the clouds. And so when they, took, when they do come, it pours. Um, and recently, this past month, there's been floodings that we haven't seen before in the Pueblos. Um, and that have been causing some damage uh, with mudslides, uh, with running, running through the homes. Um, and so I think about that and... Um, what we can do to rebuild the relationship with uh, the plants that were traditionally used within our community. And tobacco is, is one that we can, we have an opportunity to rebuild a relationship with. And also so many, so many other plants, um, like the trees, the pine trees and oak trees that uh, grow where I'm, where I'm from in the Sierra region. Um, I think about the devastation that that has caused and the consequences of cutting down those trees. And so a common phrase that, you know, I've heard growing up with my mom is that, um, que ya no se respetan los árboles. So folks don't have respect for the trees anymore. 
And so there's been greed as well within uh, Mexico as a, as a state, as a nation, trying to, right. to cut down those trees for logging, uh, for selling. And it's about the money and it's about uh, changing the landscape to grow other things that are more profitable, like avocados, uh, like strawberries and raspberries. Your mother's right. How, how do we do this interdependence approach with plants, especially when sometimes it can feel so disempowering because we're watching these nation states and capitalism just wreak havoc, right? Like we're seeing these, these consequences. What are some of the signs you're seeing of people who are resisting that and rebuilding stronger foundations and kind of a, a decolonial approach to these relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think right now at this moment, there's been a lot of folks organizing around that, organizing to keep out monoculture and keep out a uh, big act like we know it here in the U.S. Um, and so there's some examples of pueblos that have been um, taken advantage of by Driscoll's down in Michoacan of... Um, yeah, monoculture coming in and using their pesticides, even though they're saying they're not gonna use pesticides or draining up water. Um, and so there's been resistance against that as well to, to come back and restore the soil because every nutrient has been taken out and things aren't able to grow anymore. And so it's it's so beautiful to see that that part of the reclamation is getting back into the roots and back into the soil. And at the same time, I'm I'm wondering how you see your art as a part of resistance and part of uh, activism and part of organizing. Well, in all honesty, you know, I started drawing not really having um, having those things in mind or feeling like that's where I wanted to go with my art. Um, I feel like when I started to draw, I started to draw for myself. I started to draw because I didn't see um, my particular culture, my particular traditions represented. Um, and then slowly it's been building, building into that um, because there's folks that can relate to my art and because there's folks who relate to, to these plants that, that I share through my drawings, through my illustrations. Um, and so I don't know if that my art would mean anything if there weren't, wasn't that community to receive it, right? So often we think of self-care as being so opposite or opposed to political or activism, but really just by nature of, of the work that you do and the way that you, you are showing up, like it is both. And I think that that's really mm -hmm. powerful. And I'm curious about the self-care part and how, <laughs> how it's been to do this for yourself and then also to put it out into the world. What has that process been like for you? <laughs> Um, it's a lot of also creating boundaries for myself as an artist, <laughs> which I am learning a year later. Um, and so some of the ways that I make sure that this art is still self-care is taking time to pause and not create and just be present. Um, 
because a lot of times when I have art ideas, I want to draw it then and finish it then. <laughs> um, just right, because I'm so right. excited to see it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> see yep. It done and, and what it would look like and all the colors. And the colors are more exciting than the sketch. So <laughs> it's hard to, to slow down when that happens. Um, but yeah, I do try to take some time to myself to not draw. Um, it helps me when I create. Uh, art for others through commissions and see the ways that my art can also be useful to to orgs to small businesses to the folks that I want to support other things that they're doing and they need digital work done um, and also a new experience that that I've also recently had was just of sharing my art um, offering them to folks um, wherever they are uh, and seeing those reactions and seeing re when they're received by community just as gifts I think that has also been really special I was thinking about in, in preparing for this conversation I was thinking about what does it mean to engage with art in a decolonial way and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because and even just this piece you just said around like the gifts and also the slowing down uh, seem to be parts of that journey, right? Because so so quickly, so easily, the things that are the things that are soul work, that are community work, that are uh, work with our relatives can can become commercialized, right? And can get sucked into this machine. <laughs> and so I'm curious, yeah, like how do you think about your art and your work as um, yeah as part of this larger decolonial project of refusing to let it be sucked <laughs> in by the machine yes, you know yes wow yeah I think that's something that I'm still working through I'm learning uh different ways of still creating art and not feeling like it's just work um because when it starts to feel like work um I don't feel inspired um and I'm not as creative as as I usually am when I'm just trying to draw um, and so I think part of that is uh, finding the balance in that is also in, in this gifting. So <laughs> I try to do as much gifting as I can. Um, some of the things I do is like uh, putting out coloring pages um, that still feels like it's gifting, um, putting out wallpapers, <laughs> little things like that, quotes, experiences, um, to continue to also build that relationship and not like I mentioned, like not just having Artes Medicina be a shop, um, but a place where folks know that they're who are put up a chair, who aren't put up a chair, can find someone that they identify with, have conversations with. I think that's really one of my favorite parts um, to find folks who have experiences in common, who are part of the diaspora and who have their own experiences. Uh, because every every one of our experiences is so different that I couldn't possibly represent everyone's experience. <laughs> uh, but definitely having like a source and having art that is grounding and then folks making their own interpretations or um, holding inspiration, different kinds of inspiration from my art is just one of the ways that I really hope uh, is the impact that my art is making. Mm, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's always such a, a tricky 
and good practice is to <laughs> always remember, right? Like this isn't for everyone. Like this isn't going to represent everything, but this is what comes from my soul. And this is part of this journey. <laughs> yes. How has your art journey been shared with and inspired by your family and and your community like are they are they part of the process do you get feedback mm -hmm. from folks do you take <laughs> pictures and then draw them like what is that process like for you uh so the main person that i get feedback from i would actually say is my mom <laughs> uh yes yeah so she's the one who gets to see all the sketches before and all the illustrations before um and sometimes an, another story will come out of uh, after she sees an illustration. But a lot of times they are um, kind of me trying to remember or recall a story that, that was told to me. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of illustrations that, for example, represent uh, the landscape region of, of Michoacan, where I'm from, the Sierra. Um, and I think part of this art is also trying to recall um, that place. So through stories, like for example, from my mom, I hear what the landscape looked like, what the cerros were like, um, the things that grew when there wasn't concrete, um, the ways that the milpa was grown uh, with a lot more people doing it. Uh, and I also hear about all the changes that have been happening within uh, the Pueblo that we're from, uh, like more houses being built that aren't traditional, uh, folks going more the, the quote unquote modern way, uh, more cementing, less folks uh, going up to the cerros. And yeah, so there's a lot of changes that I, I'm recalling, both in the changes that are happening in the present and changes that have happened in the past. Um, and a big part of that for me is trying to hold on to what the landscape was like when my mom was a kid, because those are the stories that I'm getting from her and that she's telling our family. She's a really great storyteller. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's, that's such a gift. And your art is a form of, of storytelling, right? It's a form of passing on and putting into images these beautiful stories you also use words how do you make those choices and what are what's the significance of writing some of those things down onto the onto the pieces themselves a couple of the words that that I have on there quotes that are making a claim to say aquí estoy I am here Ishuharas. and so I feel like those quotes are all a piece of of me making my own presence seen. Um, and hopefully others are also affirmed in that. A big part has been seed memory, illustrations representing what rootedness means to me. Will you, will you share a little bit about what seed memory is and what that means? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so seed memory to me really represents, um, again, like this recalling of what our tradition has been to grow seeds, uh, specifically a milpa or tareta is what we call it. Um, and so from growing milpa with my family when COVID started, 
is the moment where I feel that a lot more stories came up that weren't coming up in my younger years uh, because we weren't growing mice, because we weren't with the soil, um, because we weren't having to talk about water and heat and the stages of growth of the, of the milpa. And when you are there in presence <laughs> with the seeds as they're growing, especially as indigenous folks, uh, part of that process is where this seed memory starts to get built and re reinforced and strengthened. So for example, as I started to grow milpa with my family, I remember even before um, laying down our corn seeds, my dad would touch the soil to make sure that the soil was warm. And so when I saw him do that, I asked him why he had done that because I hadn't seen anybody else um, plant corn that way. And so when he told me, he said that he needed to make sure that the soil was warm enough so that the seed would want to wake up. And wow. so when he said that, that made, just made so much sense to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Of course, the seed needs to have a good place to want to cut, to live. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And that's, that is not the thing you'll get on your, like, how, how to plant corn Wikipedia yeah. page, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that was just the beginning of it, right? Because that was even um, just laying down the seed. But even like um, loosening up the soil, talking about ways that the soil is traditionally loosened. So in the Pueblos, it would be like with toros pulling, um, I forgot what the tool is called, but there's a metal tool that uh, would make the rows and uh, mm -hmm. loosen up the soil. And as we were talking about that, there was also... Uh, I mentioned from my mom that it was also known that uh, anteaters would be the ones to traditionally help us to create those rows of growing um, the seed, our corn seeds. Wow, <laughs> anteaters, look at relatives, that's eaters, amazing. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like literally helping in, in the milpa. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, the, and so those seed memories are both or the memories and the and the knowledge that's passed down mm -hmm. as you're working with the seeds. And it seems like it's exactly. also the memory in the seeds themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. How's it been to find and to keep the seeds? Like I know that's, that can often be a challenge is, is the sourcing and the keeping of the seeds. Yeah. So the first couple of seeds, that I was growing were from Oaxaca and they were gifted to me um, by a, a gardener up in Watsonville near Santa Cruz where I was doing my undergrad. Um, I was helping out with a few community gardens up there and that's where I met uh, one of the gardeners. There, and there was a, an event organized for a seed exchange. And so I joined them and that's where I received those, uh, those seeds. They were green Oaxacan seeds. Um, and so those were the ones that I grew here in Santana. And so every year that I was going from Santa Cruz, coming back home to Santana to visit my family, coming back to the community gardens here, I was doing that movement between <laughs> gardens and between um, different folks growing uh, seeds from their own pueblos. And eventually I also met a gardener who was from Michoacan and he was the one who gifted me uh, red corn, oh, red wow. corn seeds from Michoacan. And so those are the ones that uh, I grew here with my family. 
And, you know, once someone gives you something, then you have something else to gift. So then I was able to gift those red corn seeds, uh, receive white corn, receive blue corn. Um, and so now the mix is, is there. And this year I wasn't, I didn't have the space to grow uh, a milpa again. That's why this year I did a seed share. I put it out on Instagram, folks who wanted uh, corn seeds to grow, uh, to just <laughs> fill out a Google form and I would send them seeds. So this year I got to send seeds all over the States. <laughs> oh my goodness. Ended up having like a hundred people, right? Or something like that. Yes. Yes. I think wow. it was a hundred. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred folks. Um, wow yeah. that's so beautiful and it's again just one of those things that was so just sacred it's just a sacred way of 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 sharing like mailing these little semillas like I'm just picturing that and I know you can't see my face but I'm just smiling like what a beautiful <laughs> way to like do this work and be creative and connect to one another that you are heading to UCLA. Will you tell me and us a little bit about, <laughs> about your plans and what's next for you and what's ahead? Yeah, um, so obviously this work that I've done um, with Artes Mesina, making art is just a piece, a piece of the thing that I do that brings me joy. Um, another big thing that brings me joy is working with youth, working with young folks. Uh, you have to keep them around because sometimes they're the ones, you know, with the most courage and the most willingness to to do the work that, that needs to be done. So I'm now on this next path to become an ethics studies teacher. Yeah, congratulations. And and I, I mean, I just have the sense to just say thank you for doing that work because it's not easy <laughs> and it's uh, grad school is a trip. But but when you're doing it with this sense of of this bigger calling like it's just a beautiful thing to see so I'm excited to see what what that will be like for you is there anything else about about that that program or the future that you'd want to share I'm just excited um for where the possibilities are not just for my mm -hmm. art um I think that it's it started definitely uh, for myself, again, like self-care for self-representation. And it's been beautiful to see the community that's receiving it. And I think for the future, I definitely want to have as much collaborations as I can, as much as my art can support uh, other movements, you know, back in the Pueblos or whether it's here in Santana, whether it's in LA, whether it's in Watsonville, um, anywhere that, that folks are. Uh, reclaiming uh, space and reclaiming uh, seed memory. Yeah, that's where I hope that my art can find them. Um, and definitely with the young people. Yes, yeah. it, it's exciting to see that, isn't it? That there's, there's deep movement, um, beautiful things happening. So one thing I love to ask everyone that comes on the show is if there's anything you're listening to, reading, watching, encountering in the world that can help us on our decolonial journey. And it could be an experience you've had with the garden. It doesn't have to be you know, traditional media in that sense. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious if there's anything that you would recommend for us on our journey. 
I think I would say try growing something from seed. Anything. <laughs> try growing anything from seed. Um, it's a whole, whole process. Uh, it's beautiful to create a home for a seed, uh, to take care of it, um, and to watch it bloom. I think that's, for me, the, the most special part about uh, planting a seed when I see it sprout. I get really, really excited and I know that there's life there and I know that if I keep taking care of that plant that it's gonna do good no matter what. Um, so I would invite folks to just plant a seed, any seed. <laughs> Can I ask you one more thing about that? Because yeah. my, my planting journey has not been an easy one. I have not, <laughs> I even thought as you said that, you said something like, regardless of what happens, like the seed will do good. And I was thinking about how <laughs> I've probably taken on this mentality of like, unless it's like big and strong and like clearly <laughs> successful, you know, but it does seem like the work is so much more about, yeah, what's happening underground and what's happening in that relationship. And so do you have any advice or words for those of us that maybe don't as naturally come to <laughs> bring fruition from the earth? <laughs> well, I think that's why I said, um, try planting a seed because if it doesn't do well hopefully there will be you know an intention to do some research to find um research within maybe folks own family within their own practices of how that seed was taken care of I know that's something that has something happened for me when my corn isn't doing so well I have to call my mom and ask her um how do you grow this or I have to uh, message my uncles who are back in the Pueblos you know like how do, how do you make this grow? I hope that right. it's two more questions. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's a part of the, that's a part of the work. And especially in, in different lands and in uh, different communities in urban, urban realities, right. Figuring out how do we continue to, to do this work with our plant relatives? Well, Deanna, is there anything else? I really, I'm just so grateful for everything that you've shared. And I just feel like I'm basking in all of the wisdom and you have such a, a warm and welcoming spirit. So thank you for sharing so much oh, of what you, you did so today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to say thank you to you for, for reaching out um, and for looking to answer, I guess for you, a lot of those questions that have come, mm. come up about how folks do things, what other folks are doing. Um, for reaching out to me to talk about my art, talk about the community that I'm a part of. Yeah, thank you. And it's just beautiful to see the way that you are, yeah, really standing in a place as Pura Pecha, as artist, as um, now you'll be a graduate student in the academy, you know, all these different things. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's been a joy to follow your journey. And I am excited to see what comes next. So thank you. Mm -hmm. As always, thank you so much, my friends, for listening today. Don't forget to check out the show notes where you'll find a link to Diana's Instagram page and most importantly, an opportunity to support her education. In addition to coloring pages and being able to benefit from her incredible art has gifted all of us with stories here today, please consider donating to her GoFundMe. Thank you, my friends, Tlaskamanti, Notekishpo. 
Y'all are fabulous. You keep downloading these episodes. I'm so grateful for over 7,000 downloads. Until next time, let's go forth and decolonize together.